This is an ABC podcast. I hope I work till I drop. <laughs> Retirement's not in my vocab. I love working. That's the voice of 72-year-old Beverly Grant Lipscomb. And I've got to say, I'm with Bev. I can't imagine not working when I hit retirement age. We'll be hearing from Bev shortly as we reimagine what retirement looks like as a result of the pandemic and other factors. Hello. I'm Lisa Leong, and you're listening to This Working Life. Before we speak with Beverly, there's someone else I'd like you to meet. Matthew Higgins, he's the creator of the website olderworkers.com.au, funded by a big bet that paid off. Not that I'm encouraging any gambling folks. Matthew, what prompted you to create the digital job board for older workers? My father had been unemployed for two years and he was a mature age worker. Uh, And I was talking to him on the phone one day about it and I said, there must be a job board specifically for mature age workers. And he said, well, there isn't. So um, I actually done a 20 leg multi-bet that weekend and I won $25,000 with it. And so I rang that up and said, you and I are going to build it. Wow. Got to ask you, Matthew, did your dad find a job from your site? Uh, well, actually, dad became our spokesperson. He became, you know, like a director of older workers. Because he came from a sales background, dad would get on the phone and just ring employer after employer after employer, talking to them about putting jobs on older workers, that sort of thing. And he, he organised meetings with Woolworths and Coles and we got them on board. And, uh, yeah, so, so he did get a job through <laughs> it, but it was working for it. I love it. Perfect ending. Now, you've got about 60,000 registered job seekers. Can you give us an idea of the types of jobs they're looking for, Matthew? Oh, look, it's varied because you've got people at different stages in their life. You know, when you're talking about a mature age worker, you're talking about, um, you know, from 45 years old plus. So, you know, you've got someone who's 45 who's got another 20 plus years to work. Or you've got someone who's, you know, say they've just retired and they're like, yeah, you know, playing golf four days a week isn't really doing it for me. (laughs) So, um, you know, I might go back and try and find a part-time job just, you know, helping out in Woolworths or Coles or Bunnings or maybe I'll go back and do accounting work, you know, two days a week or something, that sort of thing. So it it varies a lot or you you get people who actually want to change their careers as well. Can you share a personal story of a job seeker who's used your board? We've had quite a few really good stories. We had one where a, a guy was, um, he was 88 or 89 and he was, he was in a country town. They couldn't find anyone who would help with like pumping petrol, that sort of thing. And so this guy decided, you know what, I'm just sort of sitting around not really doing much, so I'll go and do it. So he did. He was pumping petrol at like 88, 89, like, you know, that personal service of, you know, how much do you want, that sort of thing. So 
We've had people joining. Um, a guy in Sydney joined Mitre 10 and he was like in his 90s. He was like 91. And it was just his knowledge. They just wanted his knowledge because he'd been a builder, like he had owned his own building company. So they just wanted all of his experience because, he, you know, there wasn't anything that this bloke didn't know. He was like the guru. So whenever they were like, oh, you know, um, we've got Joe Bloggs here and he's building a house and this is where he is at the moment. This, these, you know, he needs this, this, this and this. And he'd just go, yep, get this, get that. And, and he just knew everything. So he was like a godsend for them. Who are the type of employers that you've dealt with who are looking for mature workers and what sort of positions are they wanting to fill? That varies as well. You go from things like customer service, admin roles, um, you know, like drivers, transport truckies, that sort of thing, or call centre work. We're doing a bit of work at the moment with a company called APM and they work in the um, disability services, um, you know, like employment, that sort of thing. And, you know, they're looking for, you know, like support officers. So someone who'd be ideal for them is, you know, uh, say a, a woman who's been running a household for, you know, the last 20 years and she's finally got rid of her kids, they've finished school and that sort of thing. So she's been doing everything involved with her household and she's patient and, you know, shows empathy and that sort of thing. So they're the type of people that they're looking for. And Matthew... Running this website, olderworkers.com.au, what have you personally learnt from this? I've learnt that you don't judge a book by its cover. So lots of people, employers or um, recruiters, that sort of thing, they'll get a person, say like Matt Higgins, who's 51, and he sits down across them and talk to them about a job and they're looking sort of going, oh, he's, you know, he's got a bit of grey hair. <laughs> He might be a bit old, that sort of thing. But it's like, you know what, it's just a number. It really is just a number. How about you look at it like, geez, he's got some experience. Look at where he's been. Look at all the jobs that he's been involved in. And there isn't too many times that a mature age person, that when you have a problem in a business, that it hasn't actually happened before. You know, they've been involved in that sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that I've learned. And there's so many really, really good people out there mature-age job seekers that are just waiting for a chance, an opportunity. That was Matthew Higgins, creator of the website olderworkers.com.au. So what happens when you give up work but then get bored? That's what happened to 72-year-old Beverly Grant Lipskin. She stopped nursing 22 years ago, but after a few weeks of holidaying... She needed to better occupy her time, so she retrained as a teacher and says she hasn't looked back since. Beverly, now you technically retired from nursing 22 years ago at the age of 50. What made you come back to work? Well, first of all, may I pay my respects to some people first? Yes, please do. Okay, may I pay my respects to the Banjarang Yorta Yorta people and other elders of this area, this beautiful country that I live and work in at the moment. And may I pay my respects to you, Lisa, and everyone else listening. Thank you so much, Beverly. What made you come back to work? Well, I was only retired. Well, I don't know that I, I retired. I gave it a break because I've been nursing for 30 odd years at hospitals, clinics, uh, nursing homes, health centres, ambulance escorts and so forth. And 
it was a lot of shift work and I just had enough. So I decided to give it a break. Uh, but within two weeks, I got very, very bored. So I decided, I realised then how much I loved work and missed it. So I started community work and foster caring and so forth. And then I decided I would like to continue on with the nursing and pass that knowledge on to younger people and students if possible. So I did a couple of TAFE courses and university courses and re-entered the workforce and I've been going for 20 years now. How has growing up as part of the stolen generation informed what you do? Well, growing up part of the stolen generation is um, a bit of a dark patch in my life that I've tried to overcome. It was quite a culture shock being removed from country and family back in Goolagong at the age of three and taken to a mission, a United Aboriginal Mission children's home at Bomaderry, where I remained for about 14 years with my three sisters It was a pretty difficult time. There was a lot of trauma involved in that, which still impacts today, really. Uh, There were a lot of good times, too. I just wish that they were more memorable than the not-so-good times. There was a lot of grief, loss and trauma at the mission, missing family, losing that bonding. But fortunately, the community that we lived in down at Bomaderry at the Indian country, the community were, were always quite friendly with us and our school friends helped a lot. Uh, school was probably my outlet away from the mission and I decided that I wanted to study and become a nurse even though they told me at the time that wasn't possible. I just said, okay, watch me, I'll show you, <laughs> which I did in the long run. So... Growing up with the stolen generation really taught me how not to treat people, how to treat people with dignity and respect, and especially children. I know how kids in state care foster kids feel, and I think that's possibly why I went and did foster caring, to help get the little Aboriginal kids back on track if possible. And I can hear how the themes of learning, community and connection have informed your attitude towards work. Are there any specific experiences that help you relate to the people that you work with and for? Well, I was readily accepted into the workforce, even though I didn't expect it, because back in those the days of the 60s, they didn't hold much hope for us Aboriginal people. As a matter of fact, we were told not to identify as Aboriginal Otherwise, we wouldn't get a job or a house. But I thought, no, I'm going to identify and go for it. And I was very fortunate that I've always worked in places that I love. I love the workplace. I love the colleagues that I've worked with. And still to this day, I just, whatever comes along, I'm happy to tackle. I'm not afraid to tackle anything now. I love teaching about the stolen generation. I'm training nurses and Diploma of Counselling students so that if they do happen to care for Aboriginal elders especially, to remember the respect and dignity, the grief, loss and trauma they've already been through. 
what could I be doing in five years' time? Um, teaching, training healthcare workers and so forth. I wouldn't mind doing a PhD. Here you guys. is one of the stars of Fearless, a short film series by aged care provider Feros Care and Screenworks Australia about seniors challenging stereotypes, and they're all anything but retired. You're listening to This Working Life. I'm Lisa Leong. Specialist recruiter Roxanne Calder says for the first time in history, Australia's workforce includes five different generations, which opens up learning opportunities and creates better business performance. In what ways, Roxanne? In so many ways, and I think it's really exciting. So diversity for a start, so you've got um, the five different generations that can bring so much more perspective and innovation. So if you think about teams that get together, if you have a brainstorming and come up with an idea, someone comes up with a fantastic idea and then you brainstorm it, the actual execution or implementation that comes into place with that has to have so many more inputs that, that are contributed mm. and you can't have it from just one sort of solo source. So when you've got multi-generations, you'll have different ideas that work previously that can be tweaked. It just encourages an overall increase in that whole innovative piece. It broadens perspective. It promotes uh, sharing of best practice retains knowledge, promotes work ethic, you have a better understanding of your customer base and your shareholders, understanding, patience, all of those things that are, you know, critical to not just life, but absolutely in a workforce. Now, the ABS classification of an older worker being aged between 45 to 65, well, that's quite a wide age range and it might be confronting to someone who could be in their mid-40s, say, and considering themselves mid-career. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I think it can be confronting and certainly when I first read that, I had a chuckle <laughs> about it. But then I think it's all in your mindset um, and how, how you see that because I think we attach certain prejudices and thoughts on ages and whether that's youth or whether that's older. Now, part of the problem with that definition is the fact that it was put in place quite some time ago and it doesn't take into account all of the life-changing conditions and circumstances mm. like the fact that we live longer now. So we now, according to the statistics, live to 83, plus the fact that, you know, where we are living now, we're living a healthier life that we can contribute more to. So it could be confronting depending how you look at it. But equally, the definition around that youth piece as well is 15 to 24. So if you're a 24-year-old, you might be affronted by that as well in the same category as a 15-year-old if you may have been in the workforce for, say, I don't know, six or eight years. And in the same way that... You know, the definition of a woman who's pregnant over 35 as a geriatric pregnancy, I think it just all depends on how you, you want to see it. And we just have to accept sometimes that these are the definitions and it doesn't define me. And Roxanne, in your line of work, are you finding that more people are wanting to work for longer? Yeah, I do. Definitely I do. And maybe not necessarily permanent, but it might be part-time. And, and again, part of reasons is the fact that we, you know, the life expectancy sitting at 83, it's the fact that we're healthier now. It's also because we want to, it's the contribution, financial reasons. You know, if we think about when superannuation came into play in the 90s, so that financial piece affects a lot of people who might be looking at retiring and then 
can't necessarily easily. Mm. Um, plus, there's the whole piece that people just want to keep working because of the fact that they get some purpose from it and, you know, people priorities shift, I think. You know, we, we start to look at, you know, how we want to be viewed and what legacy we have and all of those things that, you know, are also important to us as humans. I think that is absolutely the case. Let's talk about Australia's chronic skills shortage. An independent advisory group, Infrastructure Australia, says by 2023, one in three skilled positions may go unfilled and the pandemic has made the problem worse because it's disrupted training and skilled migration programs. What's the solution as you see it? Um, Yeah, I saw that article as well. It's interesting. So we do have a chronic shortage. It's um, the landscape is you know, pretty um, stark, unemployment at 4.5, increasing job vacancy, so high demand, lower supply, uh, absolutely migration wiped out. Um, and the pandemic just brought all that to the surface, so it's in play well before then, plus the fact that our birth rates are not at replacement levels. Um, so there's, you know, a number of things that um, companies can do, and I've been encouraging the clients that I work with to do a skills audit, so having a look at your business and seeing who in your business has certain skills that are either transferable or where you can reskill. Um, also to be looking at the job descriptions you have to be evolving. So often we have job descriptions, they sit in HR and they're there for years and we pull them out when we do a, you know, a hiring process, we give them to someone in their contract, but maybe they need to change. So maybe we need to peel back the layers and we look at those jobs and we say, okay, well, what, that was desirable and we made it you know, compulsory five years ago, but let's really look at that. Do we need it? And if we don't, just make it simple now. Um, and then I'm also encouraging people to hire or consider hiring people, even if they don't have the full package, but they're nearly there or even halfway there, but you think there's um, some abilities that you can train. And then the other piece from that is look at outsourcing, look at contractors, um, look at remodeling your business to work with the people that you do have. Um, there's a variety of solutions. None of them are short term because this situation with our job, our candidate shortage, sorry, um, is here long term. So it's something that we need to really accept and not be thinking that I'm going to cling on to this because it's going to change in six months. It absolutely is not going to change. And staffing levels um, are critical for businesses. It will absolutely halter um, business success. And Roxanne, if you could reimagine re- retirement, what would it look like? Because I think Ooh. that there's a, yeah, a bit of a... Uh, image of retirement as 100% down tools, sipping pina coladas on the veranda and playing golf under the sun? <laughs> what would yeah. you reimagine it as? Well, I don't know because the problem is if you sip pina coladas under the sun all the time, the joy goes. Like I think you need a balance to look forward to things. But it's interesting that you say that because I think it is all about maybe thinking about what retirement is for you and then planning for that. The issue for retirement is that people, I think people feel it, and for me, this is how I sometimes think about it, is, oh, what then? Is that just a stop? But it's like everything in life that we do, we plan for it. Like when we're at school, we decide, do we go to university or not? We start planning for our education. We start planning for our lives. If we want to have a family and children, all those things, we plan for it. So with retirement, like you said, you know, do we plan for that? What do we make that look like? And if it is pinnacolitis or playing golf or sitting in the sun, or maybe it's a hybrid. So maybe it's a, I want to work two or three days a week. And for me, that's probably it. I think I will want to be working two or three days a week. Maybe if I'm lucky enough, I could sit on a board, do some voluntary work, something that I can share my knowledge with and that people could benefit 
for me, that would be it. And some sun. <laughs> and it feels like otherwise it would be a bit of a waste of talent. Is there some way that we can have a circle of mentors that can help? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. And you know, one of the things that I wrote in an article, I don't know if it's come out yet or not, but I spoke about this concept of buddyship and it doesn't even have to be in a workforce. Like you could leverage that from, you know, people who are retired or groups that you could work with, even if you're a business. So, you know, there's the ability to tap into someone. Imagine if you've got a 20-year-old and you have a 75-year-old and the 20-year-old's fantastic on technology, you know, lives with their phone in their hand. And then the 75-year-old's amazing with relationship building or business formalities. And the 20-year-old says, oh, God, I've just been pulled into this meeting with my boss. It's on Wednesday. They sent me an agenda and asked me to repair. I don't know how to go about that. And then this 75-year-old is like, it's easy. Follow me. I'm going to show you how to do that. And then they show them the whole process of research, proper research, not Wikipedia, and then preparing properly and practicing what you're going to say and how to write that and then how to present it in all the ways, not just you know, in a formal business setting, but even how to present personally, how to speak, the right language to use. We, we think, and what people hearing me might think, like, you must be joking, but I'm not. Like, when I sometimes interview people who are school leaders, they don't know because they don't know. But if someone could help them and teach them, I think that would be an incredible thing to share for both parties. And because it's generational like that, I think the competition goes, it's peer support, it's a proper, I've called it buddyship, and it's a proper buddy because when you have a buddy the judgment isn't there it's all about assisting and helping but imagine if you could do that has that been formalized anywhere roxanne not that i'm aware of but i'd always say it hasn't in case i'm sure someone's come up with it you know i just love the idea i think when i saw that movie the internship with the lovely robert de niro i was like how amazing is he i don't know it's a movie but i don't know i think that you know some of those retirement homes with all that knowledge to tap into and if you think about where our community used to be years ago with such structure in place that has fallen by the wayside for a reason. But some of those structures that are in place where, you know, grandparents were teaching their grandkids and, you know, all, all these things that used to happen and we've lost some of that. I think it's about being open-minded, not being closed-minded and knowing that all of us have some contribution and not to disregard this, you know, what we're calling our ageing population. There's, and it's silly too because... Businesses need people, and why wouldn't you tap into this fantastic demographic? That's recruitment specialist Roxanne Calder, and we've been exploring why not everyone wants to stop working when they hit retirement age. But what if you're at the other end of the scale, at the early stages of your career? How are you travelling? Are you thinking, just retire already? I'm tired of being your IT support person, and I want your spot. Well, that's a discussion we'll be having next week. Oh, and if you want to share your early career experience, we'd love to get your voice on our show. Email us at thisworkinglife at abc.net.au or write me a note on LinkedIn. I'm Lisa Leong. You've been listening to This Working Life and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.